Hello, I'm Jason Ball, and this is Friends with Friends, the podcast where we explore all 236 episodes of the TV show Friends, one at a time. I am joined by my good friends, Jackie and Vanessa. Hi, I'm Jackie Rodriguez, and I am the biggest Friends fan, but I may not be the most knowledgeable because we have some oh. here today. <laughs> and I'm Vanessa Martinez, a newbie in the group. I have never watched an episode until now. All right, and we have a new friend today, Gary Sussman, who co-authored the book Friends Forever, the one about the episodes. Welcome, Gary. Great to be here. And where are you? You're in Colorado? I'm in Denver. All right. So we have lots to talk about. Uh, You have been following Friends since the beginning, right? Yes, I watched it uh, when it was on in real time. I'm about the same age as uh, the characters themselves. Uh, I covered the show uh, when I was a senior writer at Entertainment Weekly, and I wrote a weekly column about the show while it was on. That is so cool, a weekly column. Yes. <laughs> That's Jackie's like, dream job. No, well, <laughs> this podcast is a new version of that. You got the weekly column, we got the weekly podcast. So, so that cool. weekly column, did it come, was it your idea that you pitched to them, or they approached you about it? Well, I was already working there, and uh, it was just, you know, friends, this was, towards the end of this show's run and it was still extremely popular. And so I said, uh, you know, we should uh, have something on the website about friends every week. So um, most of what the column was, was um, what the actors were doing off screen. So uh, I was keeping track of, you know, because they were all very busy, you know, all the time signing movie deals, attending public events, uh, doing all kinds of things. So uh, there was enough material in that for a column every single week. Oh, so the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm sure you've got some good scoop. I am. Uh, we are of a similar age, so I was, uh, you know, around in the '90s too when the show was on. So it's nice to have the the I, I love the millennial experience. Of yeah. Also, I was living in New York at the time, so uh, <laughs> there was a, a very much uh, life that imitates art quality about the whole experience for me. Was there a lot of New Yorkers there that would like uh, make fun that they didn't even shoot in New York? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I don't think people had a great awareness of where the show was shot, that it was entirely shot in Burbank on mm-hmm. uh, Studio 24 at the Warner Brothers lot. But uh, what we did all rec- you know, recognize was that there was no way that any of us would ever have an apartment as big as Monica's. So. <laughs> and so, uh, sorry if you already said this, but how long did the weekly column go on for? Uh, it ran for two years uh, during the last two uh, seasons of the show. And a weekly column. How did did you ever think you would ever run out of information? Uh, yeah, I, there was no shortage of information. I mean, the which is really kind of incredible if you think about it. I mean, that there were all six of them had that much to do every single week that didn't actually have anything to do with what they were doing on the show. There was just enough other things going on in their lives and in their careers that uh, we could cover it. And there were enough people who were interested in reading about that, uh, even though it you know, was only tangentially related to the show. So yeah, that was it, it, the level of fame that those six had at the time, even as the show was approaching its end is really quite remarkable. What was the oddest thing you wrote about? Oh, I don't know. I think I, Matthew Perry played in a tennis tournament once. Uh, you know, I had to, you know, I covered I covered their salary negotiations, which of course, you know, at the end, you know, they were each making a million dollars an episode. And the interesting thing about that to me, I mean, there's quite a few interesting things about that, and I wrote about them in the book. But uh, the interesting things about that, 
you know, is, you know, A, they all, you know, commonly negotiated so that they would all get the same amount, which was unheard of at the time. But now every show that runs for a long time does that. Uh, second, the cost was so exorbitant at the time. If you think about it, it cost them about nine or ten million dollars an episode, you know, six million of which was just their salary. And yet NBC was only paying about you know, half of that at the time. So you would think Warner Brothers would have lost a ton of money, you know, making this show that cost millions of dollars more to make than they were getting paid for it. But of course, they made it all back and then some in syndication and continue to do so today. So they knew it was kind of a loss leader off the top, but they knew they would make it up in syndication or they were, well, it was already in syndication. It was already in syndication at that point. After about five seasons, when they had a hundred episodes in the can, they went into syndication and so by the 200th episode, when they were paying, you know, each of the stars a million dollars per episode, uh, they knew that they were going to make their money back. I don't think they would have imagined that 15 years later, they'd still be making a billion dollars a year off of the show. And I don't think any of the Friends actors realized that 15 years later, they'd all still be making the same amount of money, about $20 million a year, uh, that they did when they were actually filming the show. Are that they still making that kind of money? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing amount of money. I mean, it's, you know, obviously none of them ever has to work again, but uh, there's still quite a bit of demand for uh, all of them at various levels. No wonder they don't mind talking about it all the time now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some actors do a show and then they're done with it and they don't want to talk about it anymore, but I feel like they're still invested in it and, and so like it. Yeah, I, you know, and uh, I think they've all come to terms. They've had certainly 25 years to do so with the, the notion that, you know, this is the thing that they're all going to be remembered for when they die. So, most of the worst things. Yeah. And when you, you know. were when you were writing your column, did you ever receive backlash from any of the the friends characters? Oh no, nobody uh, seemed to mind. You know, uh, I, I suspect you know either they weren't paying close attention, and why would they? They all had <laughs> plenty of other things to do. <laughs> uh, or you know, there's also the fact that. Uh, at the time, uh, Entertainment Weekly was uh, a Warner Brothers-owned property, so uh, you know it, it was, a, or at least it was a Time Warner-owned property. So you know we were all sort of, uh, you know, one hand scratching the, you know, one one hand washes the other kind of thing going on. Uh, it's not like it was a formal arrangement or we had anything like that to do. But I'm sure that Warner Brothers Television, at least, which produced Friends, was you know happy for. Uh, any additional free publicity at the time. So that's all there was to it. So I, I don't think anybody uh, had any objections to anything we were doing. And you got to meet, you got to interview some of the uh, friends? Yeah, early on in the show's run, you know, I was also um, uh, reviewing movies at that time for Entertainment Weekly and for other outlets. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, a couple of years into the show, uh, David Schwimmer had a movie out called The Paul Bearer, which was not really a very good movie but uh, <laughs> anyway, but but in any in any case he was uh, happy to go out and promote it so I got to interview him at that time and I got to interview uh, Courtney Cox a little bit after that when she was promoting uh, the very first scream movie mm. so uh, it was an interesting time in all of their careers you know I mean this was just a couple years into the show they were still fairly newly famous uh, you know a lot of uh, interesting things were happening in their personal lives I mean uh, Courtney Cox started dating David Arquette 
when they met on the set of Scream. You can really trace their whole courtship by the Scream movies, if you think about it, because by, <laughs> mm -hmm. by, the, by the second movie, they were a, a full-fledged couple. By the third movie, they were married, and by the fourth movie, they were divorced. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, uh, and, uh, as far as uh, the Paul Bear goes, you know, I mean, David Schwimmer was really hoping to get into uh, more directing, and he, you know, of course, came from a theater background in Chicago and was looking to do more serious kinds of roles. And this was sort of a weird romantic comedy, but also a somewhat more serious part because it was, you know, centered around a funeral. Uh, but uh, his uh, romantic lead in that movie, and nobody remembers this, was uh, uh, a young actress named Gwyneth Paltrow. Ah. <laughs> and uh, she was... She was dating Brad Pitt at the time, of course, and uh, oh. you know neither of them would have uh, guessed that you know in a few years Brad Pitt would be married to Jennifer Aniston and he'd be on the show and all. Uh, so you know it was still very early in in uh, their careers and much much was about to happen that uh, no one could have anticipated. So Jackie has interviewed uh, uh, David, and that's mm -hmm. the only one we have right direct contact. Only one. So I far. So I virtually interviewed him for his new show, Intelligence on Peacock. And so oh. that, I freaked out because I'm a huge, huge Friends fan. And yeah, I freaked out. And it was only virtual. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when it's face-to-face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was nice. He was, he was really nice. He was chill. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Um, he was, you know, he was menschy, as they say. And when I, when I <laughs> talked to him, and, you know, and that, was, that was when he was, you know, it had every reason to have a swelled head because the show is at the height of its popularity. In fact, it was right mm -hmm. around the time of the episodes we're going to be talking about today. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they actually all seem to be nice people. Yeah, you sense too. I mean, they're they, none of them are divas, or they don't really seem to have any real ego issues. I certainly didn't get that sense from uh, Schwimmer or from Courtney Cox. That's cool. It's nice when that people get that that level of fame and popularity, and it doesn't affect them in a negative way. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other friends have talked about, uh, you know, especially Courtney Cox, how important it was to them early in the show that uh, she, you know, even though she was the most famous at the time, you know, wanted to make it a real ensemble and a real collaboration mm -hmm. effort. Courtney Cox, you know, uh, you know, made a point of, uh, you know, treating everyone as an equal, which was an important thing when the show started. And then David Schwimmer did the same thing when they were all starting to negotiate for salaries, because, you know, back in season three, uh, they wanted to pay him and Jennifer Aniston more money than the others because the Ross and Rachel storyline was so popular. And he uh, really was the one behind the drive to, uh, make sure that they all negotiated as a group, which, you know, as we've talked about, made a huge difference later in their come about uh, Friends Forever, the one about the episodes. Um, I was actually the last person to come aboard this project. Uh, the book was being put together by the publisher, you know, as uh, a 25th anniversary tribute to the show. And uh, they sort of waited I think until the last minute to do it, and I'm not sure why, but uh, as a result, you know, it was a fairly complicated project. If you guys have read mm -hmm. the book, mm -hmm. you know that there's um, uh, sort of two parts to it. One is the uh, episode guide that makes up the meat of the book, and uh, my uh, co-author Janine wrote most of that. And the other uh, is the uh, history element of the book, you know, the, all the behind the scenes uh, stuff, all how the show came together, uh, 
how they cast it, how they built the sets and designed them. And uh, also the show's very long afterlife uh, and its impact on culture. So I wrote that part. Uh, and then my uh, third co-author, uh, Brian, uh, did some supplemental interviews with the behind the scenes, uh, the creators and some other behind the scenes people that uh, added to that. So uh, they brought us all in. You know, we're all in different cities. We're all uh, doing this at the same time. But, you know, we had really only about a month to put this whole book together. And uh, so they, they needed somebody who could write a book in a month basically and so they, they found us uh they knew me because uh of you know what i had done at entertainment weekly and the column that i'd written on friends so um uh yeah i, I happened to have <laughs> the time to to do the project so uh i was happy to do it and it, it really flowed quickly for me i have to say you know mm -hmm. people talk about writer's blog and how hard it is to do a book now this wasn't hard this because mm -hmm. i i had the knowledge and it all just came flowing out of me and while i did a ton of research to fact check and make sure that i didn't misremember anything uh it was still you know really really fun to write and really not that difficult because you know, I, I just have been living with this show for 25 years. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think it's a, it is a great resource because it does do an episode by episode and then gives the um, history and the background and all, all that. So it, it it's actually a really great read if you're interested in Friends. So, uh, you know, we'll put the note information in the show notes too for for that um oh, but then let's let's take a quick break and then we come back we're going to talk about uh episode 36 the one after the super bowl part one be right back achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, we are back, uh, Friends with Friends podcast. Our new friend, Gary Sussman, who may know more about this than Jackie. I'm not sure. It's Maybe. A, a, little, uh, a quiz here at the end. But, uh, Gary, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us for this. We're going to talk about the, the one after the Super Bowl part one. But Vanessa's got an interesting question for you first. Yeah, I mean, you watched Friends, you said, uh, when it first started. But what kind of shows are you watching now? Uh, well, two of the shows that I like now, um, one of them is Yellowstone which, uh, you know, I, I haven't quite caught up on the new season yet because while I have Peacock, I don't have the Paramount channel. So I'm waiting for it to all show up at once when I'll get to binge season three. But uh, uh, I love season one and season two. And then for comedies, you know, I actually really like Grace and Frankie, which of course is, you know, Marta Kaufman's current show. Um, uh, you know, she's the co-creator of Friends. And if you think about it, you know, you watch... Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin on that show. They're basically, you know, Monica and Phoebe if they were 50 years older. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Grace and Frankie. It's, it's, on, watch list. It's, it's on Netflix and I highly yeah. recommend it. There's six okay. seasons. So That's funny. A, a whole it's Phoebe and Monica in their uh, 20 or 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, 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 like 
like 50 years later because they're in their 70s. <laughs> Do you see another book coming along for any of their shows? Uh, someday maybe there will be a, a book <laughs> on, on uh, I'm sure there will be a book on Grace and Frankie, maybe on Yellowstone too. <laughs> My parents cool. love Yellowstone. I haven't watched mm -hmm. it yet. My mom, yeah. My mom, Grace and Frankie. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about uh, episode 36, the one after the Super Bowl, premiered on January 28. 8th, 1996, with 52.9 million viewers. And this aired back-to-back -back with part one and part two, right right after the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's an amazing amount of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack, yeah. tell us what happened. I think this was the highest episode, uh, highest rated episode of Friends, by the way, in the whole season run, even higher than the finale. All right, Jackie, give us a quick overview of the plot. Yes, so Ross goes to San Diego Zoo and visits Marcel, but finds out he's a big movie star. Joey meets a stalker, played by Brooke Shields, who thinks he is the real-life Dr. Drake Ramore from his role on Days of Our Lives. And Phoebe meets Rob, played by Chris Isaac. He offers her a new gig singing children's songs at the library. This is all part one. There's a lot going on. This is only part one. So what's your overall thought of this episode? It was the most popular or the highest viewed, but is it the best? I liked it. I don't think it's the best, but I liked it because every time you turned on like a different scene, oh, there's another guest star. Oh, there's another guest star. Oh, there's another guest star. So there was so many that were packed into these two parts. And so I liked it for that. But as far as moving the the characters along, they didn't really move any characters along the storyline, but I still enjoyed it. I thought for me, I liked this episode better than the second part of the two. <laughs> But same, it was, I loved the Brooke Shields part, but everything else was <laughs> for me. Gary, how about you? Yeah, I think it's worth talking about Brooke Shields a little bit here because uh, you have to remember, you know, when people saw this episode for the first time, uh, Brooke Shields was, you know, known as a model and maybe sometimes as an actress, but I don't think anybody realized that she was funny. Uh -huh. And that she mm -hmm. and that, that she could really be fun, you know. And, and she really throws herself all into this part as as Joey's stalker, and she, you know, with the crazy eyes and everything. And it was, I think, because of this one guest spot that she ended up getting the show suddenly Susan, uh, also on NBC, you know, which mm -hmm. was another you know Thursday night staple for a while, but you know, ran for a few years, you know. And it, it wouldn't have happened, I think, without this guest spot convincing the NBC suits that she could, in fact, you know. A, be funny, and B, carry her own show. For some reason, I don't really know why. I love Brooke Shields. I have always loved her. I think she's beautiful. I think she's amazing. But you're right, Gary. No one thought, she, no, no one knew she was funny or could be a comedic actress until this this episode. So I think it was re a really, a, you talk about those, when you look at turning points in people's careers, this one guest spot you know, really turned her career. Now, I always wonder, how did she get cast in that role? Mm -hmm. those, those sort of sort of things yeah who knows the the uh whole list of guest stunt cast actors for this episode is really kind of random and, and strange and uh uh you know i mean it, you know how did chris isaac get on the show <laughs> I, you know, the, the one who the only one who sort of makes you know and, and he's great I, i've met chris isaac by the way and, and he's really dry and funny in real life too uh but um the, the one guest on this half of the episode who sort of makes sense is uh, Dan Castellaneta, who plays the uh, guy at the zoo, you know, who of course is the voice of Homer Simpson. And he's done a lot of these little character bits over the years, so I could see how they cast him. But 
the rest is just sort of it's like well we're after the super bowl let's just get some you know whoever high profile people we can get in here so that's what i think too it's just like it's after super bowl this is a big episode we know it's going to be a big episode let's get the you know biggest supermodel you know and then chris isaac had you know wicked game his his single out and you know and so i think that was a factor in, in casting this episode I had read that Brooke Shields, she just said yes immediately, like sight and scene. She didn't care if, you know, where she was on the list of guest stars, but she just said yes because she wanted to be on the show. Mm -hmm. She was my favorite part in this, in this part. I just loved when she's licking Joey's hands. I'm like, really? And then she <laughs> so throws random. her head back and laughs and then licks his hand again. I'm just like, that is so gross. And I wonder how Matt LeBlanc like reacted and did all did this with it's like Brooke Shields is licking my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny too because you know Joey's got that line in the in the episode where he says, "Wow, I have my own stalker now." And if you think about it, I mean, this is uh, you know Matt LeBlanc suddenly you know recognizing that he in real life has probably reached that level of fame and is getting kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, but here's one thing I noticed: the whole, you know, the one after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, that was a name. But the only reference to football I found was when Joy was holding the football at the beginning. Yeah, they didn't actually do much to uh, try to attract the or or hold on to the football audience. It's it's typical to do something like that when you have a show after the Super Bowl. It's also typical to you know try to premiere a brand new series to you know get yeah. the attention after the super bowl but but uh, so this was i think the first time that they'd done a post super bowl show that was uh you know an already existing and popular series and decided to make hay out of that you know if you think about it i think jeff zucker was probably looking really at the much longer game there it's like not how can we build up friends or build up a new show but how can we build our whole thursday night which is you know the most lucrative night on tv anyway so mm -hmm. i thought it was i think it's fun too this is the second kind of musician who's been paired with Phoebe so with Chris Isaac and Chrissy Hine was the first one. And I love that they both ended the episode by singing. <laughs> <"I can't do." laughs> but I love most of all that she told him, she's like, um, Oh, I think you might want to pick a more masculine note. Yeah. Cause that's what he hits in wicked game. That's his, his famous yeah. like, Oh, right. <laughs> I thought that was good. That was perfect for Phoebe. Another guest star on the episode was Fred Willard. Oh yeah, Fred Willard. For the little like one off. That it was kind of a weird role for him. I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. But but yeah, I mean, it made sense. And another person I did recognize on that episode was Taj, Taj Maori from Sister Sister. <laughs> That's us ninety kids recognizing that. <laughs> yeah. Taj Maori. <laughs> he came in afterwards um, when Phoebe was singing, and he came in and was one of the kids that wanted to hear her real songs after she gets fired from the library. <laughs> and what a performance that was i mean it was one scene but he was so memorable in it <laughs> yeah yeah he laid he left everything on the out there too so <laughs> he did yeah and then and what then, about marcel coming back i thought that was good it was nice to see marcel only because i have a soft spot for pets <laughs> <laughs> you do you do it was, a, it was a cute way to to bring him in you know the way that they did it i thought it was good i imagine they did that probably over the objections of the cast because uh none of them but especially uh david Schwimmer, really enjoyed working with the monkey that much they it was sort of they, they all thought it was gimmicky and and uh uh 
that the monkey was kind of a nuisance, but um, but there were sports about it, so. Yeah, yeah, we wonder that too. It's like, what were the creators thinking when they brought in, we've discussed this before when we were going over those episodes, like why a monkey? That is so strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on one level, it sort of makes sense. You know, Ross is uh, a student of primatology, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, as a paleontologist, but, uh, you know, it, it's when they bring in a, a, a monkey that always seems to smack of, of desperation on the writer's part, and <laughs> that they did it so early in the show really seems anomalous because they didn't have to. Yeah, but, but I do think I don't know what you think about this, Derek. I feel like they use a lot of like even like vaudeville and circus elements in the in the show, and I think that was one of the idea, or may have been one of the ideas on why to bring a monkey in because it's kind of that circus idea. I don't. know. Yeah, they were willing to try just about anything, uh, and even as the series progressed, and they started to realize, you know, each actor's talents and what they could do is in terms of physical comedy as well as the verbal comedy. So they they were willing to really throw whatever they they could at them to to get them to do something funny. Because we've talked about it before, even some of like the pantomime scenes where you don't have any dialogue at all and they're just you know, acting out physical comedy. I, I think of uh, Chandler uh, sneaking a smoke in his cube. I mean, that was a very funny scene just all on its own. Gary, one thing too I wanted to ask you was talking about the episode where Phoebe is singing at the children's library. And Phoebe just always has these amazing songs, that hilarious songs that she comes up with. Do you know who wrote those songs? Did she write them? Did the writers write them? Uh, I think Lisa Kudrow actually wrote those. She's really quite talented in that regard. And she uh, she co-wrote, you know, Smelly Cat with mm -hmm. Chrissy Hind, as, as you may have discussed in earlier mm -hmm. episodes. So she, she came up with a lot of that, but some of that I'm sure was the writers because uh, there's always this, wild contrast between Phoebe's sort of naive, upbeat spirit and this horrific childhood that she endured that <laughs> seems, to, seems to come out in her songs. Yeah, those songs were hilarious. I was laughing when she was singing those. They're great. It's so great. But you're right, it is that naivete and this <laughs> trauma too, all mix into one that it's very, in, in, very charming. I thought uh, Lisa Kudrow and Chris Isaac had great chemistry too. I mean, when he leans in and kind of, you could like, oh my God, he wants to kiss her. And then she mm -hmm. says, do you want to kiss me? And I, I thought they really hit it off really well. I saw an old interview with Chris Isaac and um, they were asking him, what's it like to kiss Lisa Kudrow? And he goes, it's very minty fresh. <laughs> she was married at the time. And so um, I, I mean, they even mentioned in there that Phoebe, or Phoebe's husband, Lisa's husband did it mine and was rooting for them. So, <laughs> so I think it, I think he enjoyed it more, maybe more than Lisa did. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris Isaac's a good looking guy, but I was with him backstage once at a, at a concert where uh, he met David Hasselhoff and uh, you know, as, uh, as good looking as Chris Isaac was, he was, even he was sort of floored by David Hasselhoff being next to him. And he's, he said to him, ah, man, be taller than me or better looking, but not both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. I didn't realize because yeah. uh, Chris Isaac's pretty tall, isn't he? Uh, he is, but David Hasselhoff, I, you know, even taller, I have to tell you. Wow. <laughs> One thing I did notice too from this episode is we've talked about all of Phoebe's boyfriends that she had. She had a firefighter, right? Did I Blue firefighter, psychologist, and a scientist. And this this 
boyfriend or fling, if you want to call him. I don't know if he was up to that caliber as the other ones were, <laughs> career-wise. Right, well, yeah, there's also a, you know, a circus performer in there, too, uh, and, you know, uh, Steve Zahn's character, and I don't mm -hmm. know if you guys have watched that episode yet, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. so, yeah, there's that, and there's also, the, you know, the uh, sailor played by Charlie Sheen, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, quite a few other uh, odd and interesting boyfriends. There's, it's hard to say that she has a type. <laughs> right, right. I feel like in the series, she's the one who has the most boyfriends because they don't give her a main relationship, you know, until later in the series. So we do right. see a lot. We do see a lot. And it is hard to recognize who she really likes. <laughs> I have never seen the Sailor Boyfriend episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> You'll see. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's good. It, it, it's a really funny one. And you're you're going to uh, be amazed when you see Charlie Sheen in it because it's not like any Charlie Sheen part you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So far, I like Hank Azaria. He's my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, Phoebe's ex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any favorite lines from this, this episode? Um, mine was just the whole boyfriend singing, uh, Chris Isaac singing um, Smelly Cat at the end. That was my favorite part of the episode. I had a few favorite moments. The Brooke Shields licking Joey's hand, the drink Ramore part where it's a scandal and they have to lie to her some way. So, yeah, that part was hilarious. When they're all throwing um, water. <laughs> yes, that one. Um, Phoebe singing um, about the grandma dying and sleeping with people. <laughs> and then especially the part where she tells uh, Chris Isaac not to, to sing a more masculine note. <laughs> I love the Joey. I had my own stalker because to your point, Gary, you know that they were at that point in their, their careers and their, right. their, their fame was so high that they had had to have mm. had, you know, some, at least some kind of crazy interaction with people. So I thought that was really funny and kind mm. of inside baseball. What about you, Gary? What are your favorite moments from this episode? I like Phoebe's songs in the library. That just. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound so innocent in the beginning and then at the end, and, you know, and the butcher chops them up and that's how you get hamburgers, you know? But the kids <laughs> love them. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. All right, coming up on the next episode of Friends with Friends, we're going to continue this conversation about the one after the Super Bowl Part Two, and one of my favorite people of all time, Julia Roberts, uh, makes an appearance in that. And. I learned something that I didn't know about her in this episode, too. But we'll talk about that when we come back. And give us a like on Instagram and follow us on Friends with Friends podcast. And subscribe and give us five stars wherever you get your podcast. But don't go away. We're going to be back with the second part. <laughs> All right. Bye.